and 41% of Gen Xers were in church. In 2020, 25% of millennials go to church and 29% of Gen Xers go to church. So we're looking at a complete loss. This is not a minor miscalculation. This is not something that is looked at say like, it's just a natural progression of, of how things change. There is a loss of Christianity within the United States of America. It's the practice of, meaning that people used to go to church just to go to church because it was Sunday. That was normal. That is not normal anymore. Okay? People claimed Christianity before. They, it was almost like a, a, an inherited proclamation. Well, my, my grandfather was a Christian. My dad was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. So that has been lost. People do not proclaim it. They don't claim it. They claim agnosticism or atheism. Okay, so we are looking at what is the progression or um, digression of Christianity in the United States of America. In Europe, we personally saw churches converted into mosques. We saw churches like, for example, a church like this in the UK. Okay, you cannot sell it to a private buyer. So if this is a property and the church owns this property. You can't say I'm going to put my building up for sale and a private uh, uh, person is going to come buy this property and, and build another house or do something else with it. They have to first offer it to a, a nonprofit or non-government organization. So the ones who have the money to purchase those properties are the, the Islamic temples and the mosques and all those people. They're buying up churches and converting them to mosques. Okay, Buddhist temples. I've seen that as well. A church converted to a Buddhist temple. Uh, in Helsinki, Finland, I, my wife and I were walking one time and we saw this church and it literally was a nightclub. So they changed the whole church into a nightclub. And, and this, is, this is common already in Europe. Here, we don't see that as much. If you see an old church, you just think like, oh, it's an old church, you know? There, they're literally not tearing them down. They're just converting them for other uses. Because Christianity has already slid down a further digression in Europe. Now, the, the scary thing is this. They say America repeats the patterns of Europe within the next 10 years. So, all that to say is what has happened on a larger scale in the mindsets of many churchgoers is that we have become consumeristic. We have become in a place where we look at a church and think, what does that get me? And there's, there's another thought there that as we read of the miracle of Jesus and we think about the miracle that Jesus did and we think that's great. You know, like we read of this miracle that Jesus fed 5,000 men, it says, and women and children. And so most of us can look at that and think that's great. That would be the perfect church, right? I mean, come on, think about it. By the water, he's grilling, you know, like he's, preaching, you're chilling, like he, he's like, there's not enough food, no problem, Jesus is there, there's always enough food, you know, like, everything's perfect, that's perfect church, but what happens is that we, a lot of times, we fail to understand what was actually going on here, okay, if we jump back into this scripture, and we identify a few figures here, now first, we have Jesus. He's the central figure in this whole account. Jesus is the central figure, okay? But let me be clear. We're not Jesus. 
We don't have to be. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. You don't have to do a miracle a week, right? There's, you don't have to compare and contrast yourself. Um, it's okay. You're not Jesus. Jesus in this account is the central figure, okay? So then there's 5,000 people who had dinner. So there's Jesus. There's the 5,000 people, okay? And then John specifically gives us a description. In the book of John, he gives a description of a little boy who brings the fish and the bread, Okay, John gives us that description. And then there are the disciples. So there are different figures here. Now we're going to jump back in and we're going to read this down to verse 17 and starting from verse 13 again. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Okay. It is a common practice for all of us to look at what we have and determine it's not enough. That's a common practice. If I said, how many of you have ever had money trouble? Every single one of us would be like, oh yeah, once. It's almost like, oh, like today. <laughs> it, it, the reality is this, it's a common practice to look at what we have and determine it's not enough. Furthermore, we think we need to be like this or like that in order to be effective. So for example, you can look at yourself, your position, your role and, and even your um, reality of where you at are at spiritually and think like, I need to be like that to be effective. Okay. The disciples spoke out of a logical position of assessment. It was a logical position of assessment and determined they did not have what the crowd needed. Now, the truth is this. Most of us are logical and it's a healthy thing to look at where we're at, to review, to say like, man, am I growing here? Is this, is this somewhere that I need to get better at? You know, and that's okay. But what happens is the disciples spoke out of a logical position of assessment and determined they did not have what the crowd needed. Now, two things can go wrong when we look at what we have, okay? Sometimes we can think we have enough. We can think we have enough. Like, you know, if someone comes to you with a question and you've been studying the Bible and that, you know, that week you were on and they came to you, they have this question about the scripture and you're like, oh, I know. <laughs> you know? Like you, sometimes you can think you have enough and we don't even need God. Even wealthy people deal with this a lot. What do I need God for? I have enough money. You know, that, there's, there's that mindset. We think we have enough. We think sometimes on the opposite spectrum, God won't use the tiny amount we do have. Like if you barely know scripture or if you have one scripture that you, you know, you memorize, you think, well, that's not enough to share the gospel. So there's there's these extreme positions we can hold, you know, internally. The Bible teaches us it is not by our power, but by his. In verse 18, it says this. And he said, bring them here to me. Okay. Most of us never see God move in our life 
because we never offer anything to him. That's the truth. Most of us never see God move in our life because we never offer anything to him. And this is not, this is not a, a money message. I want to make that clear. This is a message that says, what have you offered to God to say, Lord, I know I'm not enough or I know I don't have enough, but I'm going to offer this to you anyway. One pastor uh, that I was listening to, he said this. He said, what a dumb idea. <laughs> and he said, think about the disciple who said, there's 5,000 people plus women and children. This little boy has two fish and five loaves. What do you think, Jesus? <laughs> what a dumb idea. Think about it. That was not enough. It was not enough. Not even close to being enough. And the disciple comes, you know, hey, Jesus, we got this, this guy here is offering two fish and five loaves. What do you think? You know? it's, it's a dumb idea. But the action mattered. The action that mattered was the idea that the disciple suggested, this is what we have. But if we give it to you, what can you do with it? This is, this is how when we look at ministry, at what we have been gifted, what we have, that we can honestly stop and say, or, or even examine and say, Lord, when's the last time that I offered whatever I have to you? Let me show you something that's easily bypassed as insignificant. In verse 19, it says, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So this is a great portrait of ministry. The miraculous was done by Jesus, but the ministry was done by the disciples. See, we can't produce a miracle. That's, that's the reality of it. I, I can't automatically have a miracle happen. It is literally 100% full dependence on the Lord. But what we can do is the minute that God produces something is we minister, we distribute that. Like we take a word that God gave us and we share it with others. There has to be a shift in thinking. See, you're not a disciple when you just sit and receive. We see that clearly. The picture painted here. The picture painted said that the disciples, the disciples were the ones that distributed it to the crowd. Okay? So you're not a disciple if you just sit and receive. I know you're offended by that. <laughs> what do you mean? I then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. We know that there is a crowd that will come if you offer free food. Right? Yeah. Right? There's, yeah. They, they know. They have a, a food ministry. People come. Right? If you do a barbecue, if you say free carne asada, you know, this time, you know, if you say, you know, 2 o'clock, free carne asada, uh, and free whatever, you know, 
you know that people are lining up at 1.30. Okay? Because what happens is the people that just want to consume and receive are not disciples. It's, it's the clarity of scripture that says this, that he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So we see that there is a distinction that there are those who will come and consume and we're not to chase them away. But the disciples were the ones that distributed to the crowd. But, but they had to go to Jesus. The problem starts when we think it starts with us. Then you're like, I don't have enough. You're right. You do not. We're not smart enough. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough patience. You know, people stress people out. <laughs> the miraculous was done by Jesus, but the ministry was done by the disciples. So there has to be a shift in our thinking. We're not a disciple when we just sit and receive. We're a disciple when ministry is given from his hands to ours. When it comes from Jesus to us and it goes somewhere. It's quiet today in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> it was in the hands of the disciples that every single person ate and was filled. That's what we see. We see every single person ate and was filled. Now guess what? There is no direct mention of the disciples eating too. It says they all ate, but it doesn't necessarily say the disciples. There's a differentiation, and, and I'm sure if we broke it down grammatically and looked at the, the actual terminology that was used, I think we could argue that the, the sentence explaining in verse 20 and they all ate and were satisfied was actually in reference to the crowd. There's no direct mention that the disciples got to eat. See, it's not a me first mentality. It's a what has he given me to minister to those around me? That's the mentality. See, we've become so cultured to the I got to get mine. That's our culture. You know, even coming to church, man, I hope they do my favorite song today. I got to get my worship on. Like that, that's honestly how we've become so cultured that, man, I just need a touch from the Lord today. I just need God to speak to me. The culture that we have created is one that when I talked about the digression of Christianity in the United States of America and how people no longer come to church, because the culture that has been created is church is for us. We think we are to come to church to get a touch from God and feel better and everything is perfect. That's not the reality. That's not the, what scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that we get around Jesus and then Jesus does this miraculous thing. And that miraculous thing we take and we minister to people around us. And when we come to church, the mentality has to be, Lord, what am I here to serve? Who do you need me to say hi to? Who do you need me to pray for today? Not, I hope they do my favorite song. I hope Melvin doesn't change up the chorus. I like the way this other person sings it. Right? We, we become me first. There's a band I always reference. They're called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. 
And I'm like, that's the American, that's the mindset right there. That's for all of us, man. Me first and the gimme gimme's. Me first, give it to me, give it to me. <laughs> Verse 20 says this. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So I want to kind of break down a little bit here that I hope uh, Brother Tino will go with me on this conspiracy theory. <laughs> How many disciples were there? That, is that a question? Is that an answer? <laughs> twelve. There was twelve that, that we acknowledge um, in, in most reference, okay? In popular reference of any theological study, any theologian will say that there's a popular reference of twelve, okay? How many baskets were left over? And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. So let me, let me start painting a picture for you. You mean to tell me that each disciple had more than what they needed when they started with not even enough? The leftovers. Okay, what did they bring to the table? <laughs> Nothing. It wasn't even from them. It was some little boy. They went and took some little boys. Hey, okay, come here. Give me your lunch. That's, they didn't bring anything to the table. They didn't say, Jesus, we can do this. You know, they, they were like, hey, man. There's a lot of people who are going to send them away, Jesus. They're going to they're gonna go into my pocket, take my money, and I'm going to have to feed them. So you better send them. And, and they didn't bring anything to the table. This little kid comes walking by. Hey, kid, come here. Yeah. And then they bring him to Jesus. And, and like I said, it's kind of a dumb idea. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. And so <laughs> here we have 12 baskets that were left over. So what they started with was not even enough for two of them. What they ended with was more than enough for all of them. See, the reality of what ministry and what God is doing in our lives is that it has to be from the perspective that if I go to Jesus, it's enough. Not if I go to church and I feel good. I, I say it all the time, man. You... You equate the presence of the Holy Spirit to maybe crying during a song, even though you've cried during other songs. You've watched movies and been moved to tears. And you say, oh, that's the presence of the Lord. Is it really? <laughs> if, if that's all that God is there to offer you, then why are you here? Go watch a really good concert. Go watch a really good movie. The reality is that uh, God, God moving in our lives changes us from the inside out, changes us completely, or even our perspective of why we step into a community of believers is not about what we can get, but what we can give. The leftovers that God leaves is more than what we can provide. That's the reality. The leftovers that God leaves is, is more than what we can provide. So we can trust him with all we have. That's, that's the reality of this. We can trust God with everything we have. We have to have a paradigm shift in our mindsets. We have to stop thinking we don't have enough in us to share the gospel. This, this is what happens. 
You, none of us here are perfect, okay? None of us. I sometimes think I am, and then I have a conversation with my wife. And she reminds me, and I say, get deep, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, the reality is this, none of us are perfect, okay? If we are all flawed and not enough, all of us need to get to Jesus. Okay? So we can trust him with all we have. We have to stop thinking we don't have enough to share the gospel. Now, let me, let me give you this, the fish, right? We're going to look at this from a metaphorical position. But it's not like a... You know, like some people, they, they kind of get all into these weird, like, positions biblically. And it's like, you know, oh, the number seven, that's the perfect number of God. So if I pass seven green lights, that means God's going to be with me today. You know, I'm going to make a business deal. And, you know, oh, number three, oh, that's God's deal. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, if they tap me on the shoulder three times, that means we're getting married. You know, <laughs> there's, there's people that come with these crazy ideas. Okay. I'm not, I, I want to make sure you're not, I'm not feeding that part. Okay. <laughs> We're going to dive into some thought here, but we're not going that crazy direction, okay? The fish, if we look at it from scriptural reference, are, are to give us the idea that this believers, conversions, humanity, that's what the Bible gives us is what the fish represents. Ecclesiastes 9.12, Habakkuk 1.14, and Matthew 4.19 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so they take two fish to Jesus and he multiplies it. Okay, two is the number of witness. Now, again, don't start creating theology off of this. Like, oh, I got three hachitos out. That means that the holy, oh, man, God's with me today. You know, like, chill, okay? We're not, we're just going over this so you can have some context here. The number two is the number of witness. Okay, it's not numerology. Okay, chill. <laughs> Make sure we're clear on that. <laughs> The number two is a number of witness. That's what the scripture teaches us. It's testimony. Matthew 18, 16 says, But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay? So we see that there are two fish given to Jesus. John 8, 17 says, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. We, we see scriptural references right here uh, in Matthew 18, 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And we see that the two fish given to Jesus, he multiplies and feeds all of these people. The fish represent people or believers that just like when Jesus sent us out, they were numbered in twos. Okay, for where two or three are gathered. Okay, so there's some, there's some scriptural reference here that we can pull out just from this simple text. To say there's a reference here to ministry in the overall bigger picture here. And we talk about the bread. Okay, the bread is a representation of Christ, the word of God, the bread of life. John 6, 48 says, I am the bread of life. This is Jesus. And here we have a reference to this in this scripture. The number five. Okay, the number five is grace. It's abundance. It's favor. It's redemption. 
It's the fivefold ministry. We see that Genesis 45, 11, Genesis 1, 20 through 23, Genesis 43, 34, Leviticus 26, 8, Numbers 18, 16, Ephesians 4, 11. It says this, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The five loaves represent the ministry. Okay? The bread represents Christ that is in ministry. Ministry to people would not exist if it were not for God that gave us ministry. God gave us the established structure of what the church should be. More precisely, Jesus is the bread of life. And this bread or ministry represents a full life because it says they ate until they were filled. It's this reality, man, that when we look at this miracle that Jesus did, okay, he literally did a miracle. The disciples brought nothing to the table, but they did two things, okay? They did two things correctly. And this is for us, that if we want to walk away and say, what, what can we really apply to our lives? They obeyed him. And they served everyone else. If we want to call ourselves disciples, okay, if we want to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then we have to be marked by obedience and by service to everyone else around us. Now, that doesn't mean we deplete, if we have a family, we neglect our family. Let me paint a very clear picture for you. It means that we serve those around us first. That if we have a family, that our family knows about Jesus. That if, if we're going to be around, if we're a single person and we have friends, that our friends know about Jesus. That's, that's what scripture teaches us. Because the miracle is him. The miracle is who he is and what he does with whatever you have. So the questions to apply, okay? The questions to apply. What if we bring our families to God? And you say, well, what about this? What about that? I, I don't know. I don't have answers for you. I, I love saying I don't know. I was in a, a training with other pastors uh, Friday night. There was a bunch of other pastors. Everyone had answers. I was excited to say I don't know. <laughs> Everyone laughed because it was like, yeah, this is, it was a hard question. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> we have to be excited sometimes to say I don't know because that's where God is, man. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. I have to trust God in that. Okay? What if we bring our families to God? If we look at what Jesus did with what wasn't enough and he brings this miracle, what kind of multiplication would happen if you brought what wasn't enough to Jesus? Okay, what kind of leftovers would there be for you? What kind of leftovers would there be for your children and their children? 
I, I love the mindset that I heard that we heard at a men's conference where the pastor gets up and he says, today's the day that some that someone's grandson is going to look back and say on that day, my granddaddy gave his life to Jesus and he never turned turned back. And our whole life was changed. Our whole family, everybody after him. We all love Jesus and we serve him. And the reality of what kind of leftovers would there be for your children if what you have right now, and you say, I don't have enough, I don't know enough, I, I, I can't even articulate a good gospel presentation, but it's not enough, and that's okay. But you bring what you have to Jesus, and there's a miraculous multiplication, but it's not even for you. It's, it's the leftovers that we should be excited about. I want to close this. I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Monch in a little bit. No, it's Melvin, if you can come up and strum. But I want three things to be left as, as things to remember. So if you're writing this down or if you're trying to grasp, like, what is this really about? Number one, when someone says, I only have, or we only have, or we have only, it's a mindset that doesn't matter when Jesus is involved. Yes. It's a mindset that doesn't matter when Jesus is involved. Someone says, we only have a little bit of Jesus in our home. You know, it's filled with, it's broken, it's, it's chaos. Man, they, they hate each other. They're always this, they're always that. They're ungrateful. It's not enough. It's a mindset that doesn't matter when Jesus is involved. Because it might be a dumb idea to say, hey guys, let's go to church. What? Look at us. <laughs> might be a dumb idea, just like the disciple who brought that little kid and said, hey Jesus, this kid has you know, a few nuggets. Might be enough. God loves those dumb ideas because we're going to him. Okay, number two he will multiply what we bring to him. He will. But what we're bringing to him is not ours anymore. Understand that. It's not this thing of, here, Lord, I want to bring, and let's just bring up money because that's the easiest thing to understand. I'm going to bring you, Lord, $100. I want this to multiply into $100,000. Why? Because I want to buy some stuff. That, that's, that's not the mindset here. The mindset is, Lord, I want to bring $100 because I want this $100 to turn into $100,000 that can help others. And here it is free and clear. Whatever grows from that, praise God. If it can serve others, if it can help others, that's what I want to see. That's giving to God. In the same way, our kids, our spouse, Lord, I want to bring this to you. I want to serve you by loving them the best way I can, by teaching them the best way I can so that they can serve others. He will multiply what we bring to him. And number three, what Jesus multiplied, the disciples distributed. If you hold onto what God has done in your life, and it just sits there, 
That's sinful behavior. It's, it's the, the distribution that makes us disciples. It's not the consumerism. It's to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with everybody I know. I'm going to share about how you restored this situation. How I saw no hope, but you gave us hope. You, you made a way where there was no way. What Jesus multiplied, the disciples distributed. I think one of the greatest hypocrisies, one of the greatest destructive forces of the, of the church, contemporary church right now, is the silence of the miracles God has done in our lives. Because we, we think it's all about us. We think God restored something just for us to be happy. God restored it so that others would know how miraculous he is. Let's stand. Let's stand.